However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay, stop right there. Now, typically, this is where pastors predictably stick the shocking statistics trying to convince you how hard marriage is, right? Do you really need those statistics? I don't. I mean, if you've been married for longer than 30 minutes, (laughs) you know how hard marriage is. I think we can all say that. I think we can all say that there are some blissful moments. There are some great moments where you think, man, I love being married. And then there is hacking, right? Where you both go out and you hack at it, nobody really wins. Just bloody and bruised shins. And the thing is, is there's no such thing, there's no such thing as this Disney movie marriage that we've all grown up to understand. This deal to where we're just totally incomplete and need to be completed. But somewhere out there in the vast universe is one person, like a colonel and a bunch of different people, like one grain of sand on a whole beach, and they're our perfect other half. And all of our life is about bumping into that magical person at that magical moment where we just get lost in each other's eyes. And we just kind of drool on each other as we look at each other. And we just kind of focus. And we don't even need food because we're fed off the love we have for each other. It doesn't exist. (laughs) It's a lie. It's a lie. But we don't like to believe that. We always like to say it's going to be different for us, don't we? I'm going to be different than my parents. We're going to be different from all of our friends because we have love. We have love. And the truth is, is the wedding is fun, isn't it? Wedding's fun. Everybody's there for you. Bunch of goodies. And then the honeymoon. (laughs) The honeymoon where somebody gets sick and the other person's not sensitive and you pay too much for the hotel. It's not very Disney anymore, is it? Right? And then a couple years go by and, fellows, your jokes aren't funny anymore. Isn't it interesting how that happened? I used to be hilarious to Paula. In the early days, she'd crack up at all of my stuff. And now I tell a joke and she just kind of looks, tilts her head, hmm, and goes around and does whatever she was doing. I'm totally out of comedic material, you know, all gone. Now, that thing that made the other spouse to be cute Isn't it interesting how that's not so cute anymore? Fellas, wasn't it cute how her nose scrunched up whenever she was frustrated and mad? Year two, year three, it's not cute anymore, is it? Right? And then our bodies start to grow in different directions, and we just don't look the same. And then the regrets start coming, right? Then the questions start coming. Did I marry the wrong person because I am feeling ripped off, and I don't understand it? Maybe I should have found a better match. Maybe I should have held out a little longer. Anyone ever have that thought? Don't nod your head. Don't do it. Just think in your head. Yes, Luke, I have had that thought. (laughs) Maybe I could get my money back from Match.com. Maybe I've screwed up. And in the midst of wondering if we've messed up, in the midst of all this regret, we start to withdraw our investment. Hey, they're not doing, she's not doing what she's supposed to do, so why should I bother doing what I need to do? hey, he's not doing his job. He's not leading. I'm not following. I mean, is that not really what happens? And marriage becomes this weird form of revenge, a weird form of waiting for the other person to become perfect so that you can do what you've been called to do. And then there's hacking, the fights. Who can out-silent the other? Who can out-yell the other? Who can outsmart the other? Both 
Both parties left with bruised shins, with no one winning those. And then, and then they start trying to change us. Now that's no fun at all. You see, the song of our heart is to be accepted just the way we came, isn't it? Hey, love me the way I am. I mean everything, the good parts, the bad parts. Love me just the way I am. Accept all of me. But sister, you got some changing to do, right? It happens. We try to change people, you know? Now, one of the phrases that you would have caught in my household early in me and Paula's marriage is something that I don't really say much anymore, but it would sound something like, you know, I'd made it just fine before we met. I have to let you know, you know, you'd think that I couldn't have fed myself back in the day. Oh my goodness, and I'm so glad I ran into you. I mean, I wouldn't have even known how to made it so far, you know. If it wasn't for you telling me what to eat and what not to eat, how did I even dress myself for crying out loud before we met? I mean, and so I would always joke. I remember I bought, I went, in, went into debt buying clothes before I met her. Part of it was a scheme to get her, right? I bought some clothes, and I remember coming out of the house, coming out of a room, kind of with that thing, that saunter. She said, you look nice. I do look nice. Nine months later, same clothes, walking out of the same room. You're not going out like that. You're not going out like that. Well, excuse me, you know. So then they start trying to change you. And of course, that's humorous, but there is a dark side to that. That whole thing that I am the right person for them, but I need to make them the right person for me. I'm actually fine the way I am, and they should be accepting of who I am right now, but I've got a lot of work to do to get them to where they're suitable to be married to me. So marriage becomes this weird thing where it's all about marrying the perfect person, and then whenever you just marry whoever you end up marrying, trying to make that person perfect for you. You're either looking for the perfect person or trying to make somebody perfect for you, and it's all about chasing perfection. But this is the thing. This is the thing. And some of you might be a little bit upset. No one marries the right person. Listen to me. No one is perfect for you. Nobody marries the right person. And I know you've heard your whole life that there is this perfect person for you, and only one, and that's not true. It's not true. You will always be the square hole, and your spouse will always be the round peg. Good luck. That's the realistic picture. First of all, think about it. You never get what you married. I mean, when you marry somebody, you have an image of what that person is going to end up looking like, right? But it doesn't really happen that way. You don't ever end up with what was advertised in the shiny packaging in the early days. This is what Stanley Huerwas says. He's a great author in Texas, and he says this. We never know whom we marry. We just think we do. I agree with Stan here. Or even if we first marry the right person, just give it a while and he or she will change. For marriage, being the enormous thing that it is, means we are not the same person after we have entered it. Now get this sentence because it's very key. The primary problem is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. (laughs) Stan's right. You married a total stranger. I think in marrying Paul, I've married five different women. (laughs) I mean that in the best way possible, by the way. I mean, she's nothing like she was two years ago. I'm here to tell you, she's not. And then four years before that, totally different woman. Fourteen years ago, totally different woman, right? It's true. 
as we've both grown together, as we've both taken the hits of life, we've celebrated the wins, we've absorbed the fails, we've changed, we've evolved. So in one sense, no one comes perfect for you, and yet in the other sense, the person who, with whom you find yourself married to now is totally perfect for you because we're evolving. We're evolving. Think about what Paul says. He says, hey, this bag of skin that you're in, it's going to fall apart over time, right? You shed your skin. You shed your hair. You forget things. You're coming apart at the seams. But inside, in Christ, you're being renewed day by day by day. And that, over time, has an effect to where you don't even look like the person that you were married to. But as you grow, don't you agree with me that new trash comes up? You start to change complexion. You sound different. Sometimes you get better. Sometimes you just kind of move sideways. And you don't look the same. You've changed. And this is a difficult revelation for us because we rely as a culture so much on outward compatibility. That becomes the thing that is meant to hold our marriages together, whether you date online or not. And I'm not against that, by the way. But, and that's a totally different subject. But whether you are going through that or not, that we all run compatibility reports in our head. We all look at the other person and try to run a compatibility report and say, do their variables match up with my variables? Do the formulas balance? Because if they do, then our commonalities should keep us married and happy for the long haul. I mean, Luke, come on. We're both Republicans we're both vegans. We both watch The Walking Dead. We want to homeschool our kids. What can go wrong? <laughs> Everything can go wrong. Hacking waits for you. Everything. But we put a lot of stock into it. And when we've become incompatible, and we see that, we never see ourselves as the one who has changed. We always see the other person as the one who's deviated, Right? That's why you say things like, what happened to you? You used to be so fill in the blank. And we say that. So the thing is, and this might make some of you uncomfortable, but I want you to hear me out. Please at least hear me out. The problem with your marriage, the problem with your marriage is you. You're the problem. It's you. It's all you. You're ruining your marriage. You're ruining your spouse. It's you. Now, there's an exception in here, and I have to say the exception or I'll get 92 emails, right? If you've been a victim of abuse, you've been sexually abused, physically abused, right? Obviously, the problem in that whole toxic situation is not you, right? By virtue of the whole idea of abuse, it's something that you did not deserve, and that's not a small thing. That's not a PS, by the way. One out of 3.5 women, right, have been sexually abused in the past. Now, whether that's happened in the context of marriage or not, I don't know what the stats are on that, but it is a very real thing. That's not your problem. But for the vast majority of us, for the vast majority of the very common problems we have in our day-to-day -day normal marriages, the problem is you. This is what Tim Keller says on the same topic in his book, um, The Meaning of Marriage, which is a fantastic book, by the way. He says, you must realize that it isn't ultimately your spouse who is exposing the sinfulness of your heart. It's marriage itself. Marriage doesn't so much bring you into confrontation with your spouse as much as it does confrontation with yourself. Marriage shows you a realistic, unflattering picture of who you are and then takes you by the scruff of the neck and forces you to pay attention to it. And he's right. I mean, you're a mess. You're a total mess. 
and you are deeply, 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 deeply flawed, right? But Luke, you're letting them off the hook if you say that. You're letting my spouse off the hook. Don't you know? You don't even know what he does. You don't even know what she does. And you see, there it is right there, that desire to get the eyes off of you and onto the other person. It's in all of us, right? It's in all of us. But it is you. You're not what you advertised. You've changed. You don't lead like you should. We don't follow like you should. You don't talk like you should, fight like you should, make up like you should, repent like you should, sacrifice like you don't do anything like you should. The problem is you. It's you. And listen, this is the first step in any productive marriage. Is yes, knowing the needs and the faults and the flaws of your spouse, but knowing them even more deeply with you yourself. I mean, I can tell you from ministerial experience, whenever I'm in a room with a marriage that's on the rocks, or at least towards a rocky coastline, and, it's, and that's usually when pastors get around to that, is when it's already starting to look real nasty. Whenever that happens, I start to lose a little bit of hope that it's going to go well. The ball never gets really far down the field whenever the theme of that meeting is, yeah, 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 but look what she's doing. Look what he's doing. Yeah, but don't you see this, this? Don't you see that? It does never go very well. But I can tell you from personal experience, when me and Paula start doing that, when we start colliding and we're going at it, and the volume is up and the intensity is huge, and we're struggling with each other, the moment, the moment, men, the moment that I start breaking and being humble and eating it and saying, you know what? I'm so sorry. I'm failing you right here. This is my bad right here. I said this, and man, I really messed up. I mean, listen, I'm not expecting you to just be all excited about what I'm saying right now, but I've really messed up. As soon as I say that, as soon as I go that direction, she follows immediately. No, no, listen, I'm just having a bad day. She immediately comes right. It's congruent at that point. It moves the same direction. But understand the problem is you. This is the first theme. This is a big step. In good, 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 healthy, productive, efficient, God-glorifying marriages. And this is hard to swallow because we all will admit we have problems. But we never see ourselves as flawed. We just see ourselves as misunderstood. She's flawed. I'm just not being heard. Right? She's messed up. You just don't get me. I'm just not being got right now. And as soon as the rest of the world catches up with me, this whole thing will fix itself. Listen, this is the gospel, and this is the good news for you today, <laughs> right? If you are flawed and you see the flaw, the gospel comes only to the flawed. The gospel is specially engineered for those who are deeply flawed. The gospel comes to those. The good news, when I say the gospel, I mean the good news of a God, a creator king, coming into, coming into creation, coming to us to the deeply flawed in the form of Jesus Christ to pursue a bride who is messing up the marriage, a bride who is not what she advertises, a bride who is deeply, deeply messed up and selfish and not changing. That's the gospel for us here. Look in verse 25. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Okay, it says right there that he gave himself up. 
Jesus gave himself up. Now, this sounds rather one-sided, doesn't it? Because I know the women might immediately think, okay, but she didn't give herself up. He gave himself up. That's his role, understand. I'm waiting on him. But if, truthfully, if we backed up in verse 21, we do see a sort of mutual submission. All right? In fact, go back to Ephesians 5.18. That's what kind of sets the passage that we're looking at today. It sets it up. And I know it feels like we're going back real far That's because Paul was a great church planner, but he skipped all of his English classes. So he started a sentence with and, and it's a giant run-on sentence. And I didn't know where else to start it, so we're going all the way back to the beginning of the sentence. Verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to the God, to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see, we are all to give ourselves up for each other in marriage, not just the husband's. We are all to lay our lives down for our spouse. We are all to yield our lives, to be open, to lay it down, to give it up. There is a mutual submission right here. Now, I'm not messing with marital roles right here, okay? And we're going to talk about that too in this series because I think it's very important. But it's true, men, that we lay our lives down, and yet we are also submitting a portion of our life to our wives. Think about it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, hey, men... Don't deny your wives of her conjugal rights because your body doesn't belong to you. It belongs to her, right? Yes, right? That's a, me- that's a measure of submission. That's a measure of I'm giving it up. I'm laying it down for you. It's important that we see that. This is how Jesus married the church. He sacrificed himself joyfully for a bride who was far from spotless. Listen, if there was ever a spouse who did not produce the results promised... If there was ever a spouse that's got a little sleaze and a past and is not acting correctly and is not doing all the things right and going through the right, if there was ever a spouse where there was a problem, a deep pothole, it is the bride of Christ. It is us. We don't look right. But Jesus, who had no flaws at all as a groom, took responsibility for our flaws to secure a beautiful marriage. That's what he did. It says this in verse 31. This is important. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now, there is not a marriage service that I ever do where this is not in it. So some of you have heard this once or twice or four times. But Paul right here is quoting Genesis. He's quoting Genesis 2. Right? That whole little part right there where you, know, you, you leave your mom and your dad and you become one with your spouse, that whole thing he took straight out of Genesis 2. Right? People would have understood that. As Paul is saying it, they would have understood what he was talking about. They would have known where it was even coming from. And that word mystery, where he says right there, this mystery is profound. Mystery back then doesn't quite mean the same thing that we would use it for today. Today we'd say a mystery is like a puzzle or a riddle or something to be unearthed or unlocked. The word then, mystery, just simply means something to be finished, something to be completed, a revelation that comes later to make sense of that thing that is called a mystery. So Paul is basically saying, hey, guys, fellas, wives, men, this common institution that we see every day called the marriage, it's a picture 
an imperfect one at that, but a picture of what God has done cosmically for you and for me. And that's true, and it's true for us too. Folks, listen, your marriage is a picture, imperfect as it may be, it's a picture of the gospel. Your marriage is a walking illustration of God come to earth. It's important that we know that. We mutually give up our lives for each other. I mean, husbands, we lay down our lives. We lay them down as Jesus laid down his life for the church. Wives, we trust our husbands as Jesus Christ trusted his father. And even the most trying times, we see the gospel. We see service. We as couples are called to give up our lives and to serve each other. And that too images Jesus because he didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. Do you see how this starts to look a little bit differently? I mean, we're to serve. Yeah, we're to serve each other. And when I serve my wife, it's because I see her needs. She has a need. I want to jump in and serve. But I also have to see my need, right? I have to see my need for that even to make sense. What do you mean, Luke? I mean, we serve our beloved when they are at fault, when they've got a bad attitude. Because we were served when we were at fault had a bad attitude. I serve my wife whenever she has emotionally kicked me in the shin because I put the Son of God on the cross with my sins. That's the gospel for you and for me. And when God invented marriage, and he did invent it, that's God's idea, not culture, not the ancient Mediterranean's idea, whatever book you've read that said that is totally false. This is God's idea. Whenever God invented marriage, he had Jesus coming to earth already in mind. He already knew that was happening. That was going to be the thing that made sense of this mystery called marriage. When he put man and woman together, he knew the whole time that the mystery would be completed in Jesus Christ. That is so important for you and for me. Jesus is the answer to the mystery of our marriage. He laid down his life, we laid down our lives. And the thing is, is whenever I say we give up our lives, or we serve our spouse, or we lay down our lives, immediately you and I, we all think of actions. That's immediately what we do. That's what we're trained to do. That's what I do as well. Action. I need to do the dishes more. Right? Okay, I get it. I need to have a little bit of grace when she's off, you know. Right? That's what we usually do. But the thing is, is also to give up your life means to give over your secrets, to give over your fears, to lay down your pride, to repent. That's what it means too. Now that is hard. Because listen, we don't mind serving when it's uncomfortable, but to give up that secret, that one thing that we don't like to talk about, well, that's just a part of laying down our lives that we're going to struggle with, isn't it? It is. Giving means not keeping. It means to burn all the bridges that we're so accustomed to using to retreat and keep those things hid. It means unlocking our lives, laying them down, letting our spouses in. And we don't like to do that because then we're not perfect anymore. We have to take our mask off to do that. It's very, very uncomfortable. We're not in control. We don't look right, right? We don't like our flaws to be revealed. We hate that. I hate that. And the pain of revealing our junk for everybody, it just seems a little bit more than the pain of keeping it hid. So we do it. But whenever we avoid that authenticity, As people, we have no more authentic moments, no more real moments, and we just become partners in a stale marriage. That's what happens. 
interesting, though, because no one ever gets married thinking in their mind, I'm going to hold all my secrets inside forever. I don't want to tell anybody. No one ever does that. You, don't we all get married thinking, I'm going to tell her everything. My life's going to be an open book. It's funny how we shut that book. It's funny how we do that. Listen, today, this week, today, have a conversation with your spouse. Have a hard conversation with your spouse. I mean, turn off the TV if you have to. Plan ahead. Drink some coffee if you need to stay up. Put the kids down early, right? Get some tissues. Be giving. Be honest. Lay it down. Require nothing in return. That's a hard one. Repent. Make out. And then repeat. That's what we need to be doing as couples. And so listen, I have some discussion points to launch. And I can put these on Facebook if, if you want. It's not that big of a deal. Um, because these points, if you're like me, men especially, if you're like me, these discussions are not as hard to lead as they are to start. Because <laughs> it just feels a little awkward. So, you know, I mean, what, how do you just jump into a conversation like that? It's rather difficult. But once you get going, am I not right? It's not so hard. I mean, yeah, it's a little strange, and, and you'd like it to not last forever, but it's not so hard. So how about these? Where have you turned into a stranger or a different person than the one at the altar? Right? Where is that good, by the way? What part of the new spouse are you excited that your spouse looks like? So what I'm saying is, is where can you say to your spouse, I love it when you do this. It's encouraging. It convicts me. You look more like Jesus when you do this. You know? I've noticed, you know, me and my wife, we've had these talks over the last few days. She started noticing how not, not as much on mission um, that I've been in the last, I don't know, few months. Just basic little rhythms that we're already in all the time, stuff dealing with our kids. I kind of, I'm checked out. I'm on the phone doing church stuff, and I've got people around me. And she's like, look, what gives? And I watch her, and she's always in the middle. She knows everybody's name and knows their kid's story and this and that. And she does such a good job. And it's fun just to go, you know what? I really appreciate you doing that. I've noticed how good you are at that. I was listening to you. It's encouraging. It convicts me. Thank you. What part about your new spouse looks more like Jesus that you are excited? Now, what part about your new spouse, this, what part are you not so excited about? Yes, talk about that. Husband, I'm feeling ripped off because I thought you would look a little bit like this and you don't. Wife, I had this in mind. And I got to be honest, I'm feeling dropped. I'm feeling duped. You know, have that talk. How about this sentence? There is something I've always been hesitant to tell you about myself. Here it is. It's hard, isn't it? And automatically, as soon as I start a sentence like that, some of you had things flood into your mind, and then immediately you said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to talk about that. No, I'm not going to. I know, I know. How about this one? There is something I've always wanted to say. There's something I would really like to repent of. There's something that I'm ashamed of in our marriage. 
These are some points that should get you going pretty quick. Dare I say you probably won't need all of those. Just one will we'll do the job. And the ship goes sailing in the right direction. And before you know it, you're in your second box of Kleenex. Now listen, I understand that this will cause turbulence. I know what I'm saying right now, believe me. And I was telling the men that I was praying with this morning, look, <laughs> guys come away from something like this a little bit charged, right? He's right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to man up, I'm going to say that. And it all becomes that. And then we expect the wives to be just as excited about that as we are, right? So we, we say something that needed to be said, and they are crushed, and they freak out on you, and you're like, whoa, you're supposed to have grace right now, right? I know that this might happen a little bit, so men, I'm going to ask you to lead. And I know that's difficult. And ladies, it's going to be tough to have some grace for them as they do that because it won't look normal. And there's going to be a piece of you that's going to say, well, look who decided to lead. Well, look who decided to show up in our marriage. That's going to be easy to do. Don't do that. It makes it hard. It makes it hard on a guy. Right? I understand that this is going to cause static. But authenticity gets its foot in the door, does it not? And it does generate a conversation that over time will yield an honest, open, transparent ma- marriage instead of this one with locked up secrets and chambers of the heart that no one on earth is ever going to know about. That adage of it's going to get worse before it gets better might not ever be more true than it is in this area. And, and I know that. And I know that you're tempted to say 20% of what you think you should because you want to see how your spouse handles that before you say anything more. I understand that. I do. And certainly, as a disclaimer, only say what's fruitful for the moment. There is a moment to cleanse details out of what you're going to say, right? Men, if you struggle with your eyes, don't describe the woman to your wife. might not want to do that. You might not want to do that. There is a moment. There is a moment to be honest, and then there's a moment to be very honest. Use discretion in that, Okay? But get a discussion going over time. Get a discussion going now. Listen, this stranger that you find yourself married to, they're only going to get stranger. They're only going to get more strange. And without Jesus, without his gospel, you stand absolutely no chance of having a marriage that will ever glorify God. No chance. Listen, hear me clearly. Without Jesus Christ and his gospel active and being the thing that is the motor in your marriage, without that happening, you have no chance. No chance. You have no chance of it getting any better. It's probably as good as it's going to get. The thing is, our culture, one thing our culture needs to see, one thing our culture needs to see is us preaching the gospel, yes, But it needs to see a people who paint the gospel with the brush that is our marriage so that they understand it. Think about it, men. Do the people that you preach the gospel to or are a gospel, I guess, relationship that you are the one that is actively trying to lead someone towards the cross and the empty tomb, do the people that are around you, do they understand sacrifice better by watching you as a married man? Do they understand that better? Does it make sense? Or are they confused? Women, what about following and trusting? Man, it's so hard. Listen, I know how hard that is. I married a redhead. I understand how hard it is for women to, to just go, I'm on board. 
I know, I know the difficulty. That it's, it's not just that you don't trust the men. I, that's part of it. But it feels, from what I understand, not being a female, it feels like it strips away some of the independence and the identity and the character of who you are. If I have to follow, that means I am not an independent person. How much of a struggle that must be. Does our culture understand submitting and trusting and following better by watching you and your marriage? The thing is, having missionary marriages, it means a little bit more than just being Christians and being married. It means quite a bit more than that. These things are all foreign. Giving up, sacrificing, submitting. That's not stuff our culture sings about. That's not in a white snake song, as Kevin says. I mean, in the end, this world is taught that what makes marriage passionate, durable, lasting for the storybooks is a feeling. A feeling. But man, that feeling fleets. It leaves. It's here and it's gone. And your heart is corrupt. You can't trust that. The Bible never says trust your heart. It says guard your heart. It says guard it. You can't trust. That heart will cast desires in any which direction, just depending on what day of the week it is. You can't trust that. You cannot base your marriage off of a feeling. It needs to be based after the gospel, a timeless truth. It's a bigger muscle. So as we take communion today, which is what we're about to do, we're about to take communion. This is going to be hard, and I am putting you on the spot. Husbands, I would love for you, don't listen, don't start this conversation now in this auditorium. Please don't do that, okay? Be bad move. Don't do that to us. Um, but do something. Squeeze your bride's hand. Give her a wink. Let her know, I do want to do this. We're going to talk. I have no idea what I'm going to say. I hope Luke puts those up on Facebook. But we are going to start a conversation. Okay? Let her know. Lead. Lead. For crying out loud, lead your marriage. And wives, as he does that, give him grace. He's going to mess it up. He's going to mess it up. He's going to say the wrong thing. He's going to roll his eyes when he says it. He's going to have a bad attitude. Give him some grace. And listen, if you're single, I'd love for you to take it with somebody. Take it in communion. Now, some of you people are thinking, man, the singles in this, this church are totally slighted. Well, first of all, most of them are gone because it's in the summer. But second of all, the missional community that they're all involved with, we've been doing sex, singleness, dating, and marriage for the last three and a half months. So they're probably tired of listening to it by now. But what I would like for you to do if you're not married is to take it in communion community. Community is the closest thing you will have to marriage before you're married. Learning how to be around people with differing personalities of the opposite sex and working through problems where you cannot make out, <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good form of pre-marriage counseling of sorts, okay? Now, I will say for the guests, whenever we do take communion, just to explain what that is, we have the tables in the back, and during this worship segment, just as Kevin was saying, you have freedom to go back and take it at any time you want in the next few songs. Please take it with your family. But listen, if you're by yourself, take it by yourself. It's totally fine. We do believe that that is something set aside for Christians. As a church, we celebrate it because it reminds us of two things. It reminds us of what happened on the cross, busted up body, spilt blood, and it reminds us of a table to come, a banqueting table where we have another communion with Jesus. Right? It's a visual, pictorial gospel for us that we take that we, we take part in as community. So it's something that we treasure, right? Um, 
And I will say also, if you are far from Christ, and you would maybe term yourself that, or think of yourself as someone that's not really a Christian, don't worry about taking communion because it won't make sense. That is a sacrifice done for you. But I will tell you, I will tell you, and this is my plea for you in your heart today, you have a pursuer that is staring at you, staring at your big, fat bag of flaws. He knows them all. He sees them. He sees your flaws. And he says that his blood and his busted up body is enough to wash those flaws, to wash them away. The gospel is for the flawed. So bring them to Christ. Turn your back on your own crown, your own kingdom. Turn your back on your sins and follow him, calling him king. Let him rescue you from yourself. Let him rescue you from yourself. I mean, God is here to do business with you, not just, not just marriages. Again, this is not a sermon on marriage as much as it is Jesus and what that means for our marriage. But listen, if you're far from Christ, then the gospel means something quite a bit more pivotal for you today. And it is becoming alive from death. 